everyone. First of all, thank you so much for listening to the first episode of this new venture of mine. Uh, mine, you know, it's not just me. It's the team at Terra True that's supporting me on this. Uh, I appreciate you. While the first episode was really a high-level introduction of what I aim to do in this podcast, now I want to get into the meat of the issues. So here's the plan. I promise to keep every episode bite-sized. Problem with that is that I have such amazing guests to share with you that I get a little bit swept away during recording in the chatter and things kind of go long. That definitely happened in this episode. And while I did already make some tough cuts to our discussion, it's left me with little time to do what I want to do in the open of every show, which is to bring you the relevant privacy news. So I'm tasking myself with doing this dispatch in under five minutes. And then I want to let you dive a little deeper into some of the most important issues of this week uh, via the conversation I had with my guests. So here's the first issue And it's pretty obvious. We had a federal privacy bill hearing this week. I tend to be, if you've followed me on Twitter, a bit of a skeptic on the possibility that we'll actually pass a privacy law this year. I mean, it just seems like it's very difficult to make progress in Congress. But I will say that this hearing was much more substantive than previous hearings. It feels like lawmakers, as I've said in the past, are becoming increasingly savvy on the issues. They're moving beyond stuff like, what is the GDPR? Or how do I keep my kid off my phone? And into more things like, should you know, is notice and consent a reasonable framework for us to use? Should there be a private right of action? How much should this mirror the GDPR, et cetera? There was some criticism that you know we did hear from a lot of the same organizations at the hearing that we typically do. Um, there, there was some talk on Twitter that you know we should actually be inviting CPOs, for example, to the witness tables because they are the ones that'll be, have to be implementing whatever policies and procedures this federal law may pass down. There's also been some criticism that we should be hearing from the people that any type of privacy bill may help most. For example, disproportionately impact populations like women and minorities. And so I do hope that as the House and the Senate continue to have these hearings, we'll hear from a myriad of voices who can provide nuanced uh, takes on what's really needed. Um, More on this federal privacy bill to come in this episode. Second, for those of you following the California Privacy Rights Act, or the CPRA as it's known, you probably know that the organization responsible for enforcing the law has issued its first draft regulations. Um, I'm talking about the CPPA, or the California Privacy Protection Agency. The 66 pages that the agency released are quite needy, and I recently released a blog post at TerraTrue.com about this if you want to read more. Um, But essentially, the draft regs to date spend the majority of their time talking about acceptable opt-outs and how to facilitate DSARs. So that may give you an early idea of what the enforcement agency has planned uh, as priorities. The group started its rulemaking process in early May, and while they're under a punishing deadline to issue final regulations, July 1, many privacy pros, uh, they've told me, were pleasantly surprised to see any insights at this point. After all, it's a really big task to spell out the details of how, specifically, to comply with the CPRA. Also, I would just mention that it's clear from the regs that the CPPA is interested in coming down on companies using dark patterns to gain consent. So if you don't know about dark patterns, highly recommend Googling. Next, Canada is mulling a new privacy bill. It's worth noting that Canada has a new privacy commissioner, or it will. Uh, Daniel Terrian's term ended. He was a lovely guy. Uh, And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has nominated his replacement, legal expert Philippe Dufresne. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Dufresne? Dufresne? 
Dufresne? I don't know. Uh, Canadians inform me. Tarion had been critical of the bill introduced under his tenure, the Consumer Privacy Protection Act, or C-11. Most recently, Canada's House of Commons unanimously supported Tarion's replacement. So more on that to come. Also today, uh, I noticed a tweet from Elizabeth Warren. She has introduced a new bill that would regulate data brokers. She said in her tweet, quote, data brokers rake in huge profits by collecting and selling American sensitive data, including the location data of people visiting abortion clinics. With the Supreme Court poised to overturn Roe, I've got a new bill to protect Americans' right to privacy. So she's introduced a bill that would ban the sale of location data gleaned from smartphones. As Warren noted, this bill comes at a time when location data becomes increasingly important to women who may seek abortions. Uh, Vice reported this. Ron Wyden is co-sponsoring the bill, as is Bernie Sanders. It's called the Health and Location Data Protection Act. Of course, I'll be sure to bring you more on this if it moves. On to the episode. The day I recorded this episode, it was the first hearing on this new draft federal privacy bill. My guests on the show are privacy attorneys Nick Ginger and Sherry Parath-Rockwell. So I met them because they were loyal listeners to my last podcast at the IVP, which I didn't know until after I was done doing it. They'd sent me some messages on social media indicating their support. I had no idea we would serendipitously meet in San Diego at the IVP's PSR conference late last year. But we happened upon each other and a friendship ensued. Here's the thing. I'm a super loyal person and I really appreciate loyalty. I don't know. I'm a Scorpio. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. I also think it's important for us as an industry to not only hear from standard privacy experts, but to include people who are living this life alongside us, but maybe aren't on a webinar every week or in the headlines every week. Beyond that, I love their love and enthusiasm. So I thought it was only fitting to invite such kind people who really also know their stuff on privacy to join me on this early episode of the new podcast. Before I get onto the show, I do just want to say thank you to those of you, and I know who you are, it's emblazoned in my mind, who shared the show or recommended people listen to the show after the first episode. This is sort of a grassroots effort, and it's a new chapter for me, and the support is noticed and wildly appreciated. Love you. Talk soon. I'm here because I'm super lucky right now. I'm very happy to be talking with you. So, yeah, I'm. my name is Nick. I'm a privacy attorney. I've been working with a lot of the Bay Area tech companies for the last seven or so years. Um, I'm also a vice chair and on the, on the executive committee of the newly formed California Lawyers Association privacy section, which I think Sherry is going to want to talk a little bit about. Um, and I've just been following you ever since I've started working in privacy. So happy to be here. Sherry, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am a privacy and cybersecurity lawyer at Sidley Austin. I'm based in, uh, in LA in Century City. And I've been doing privacy specifically for about four or five years. And um, this is my second act as a lawyer. I was a lawyer uh, many, many years ago, um, practicing in a firm. And then I took a good chunk of time off and then returned to the practice about six years ago. Um, I used to be a litigator. And um, I'm here. I think we found you because um, I helped create this um, new privacy section of this California Lawyers Association, which is basically like the state bar. 
um, for California. And um, Nick and I totally bonded over our love of you, Angelique. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I was so bummed when you stopped your other podcast. And Nick and I, we saw you at, um, what was it? It was IAPP in October. Oh my gosh, Nick was crazy. And I realized that I liked him so much because I was equally crazy and we were uh, we were just your total fans. This is like the scene if anybody's listening. I mean, we did the whole conference and we heard rumors that you were there. And it was like, did you see her? Did you see her? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> then after the conference, when everybody left, we were like, I think I found her. We went and we found you having like lunch or, or after conference cocktails with a bunch of people. It looked like they were really important people. And then we just like basically rolled on up and kind of said, hey, can we have your autograph? And we got our picture taken. And it was it was just the coolest thing. So we talked about that for like the next month. So funny. Like we're both from California, so we don't care if we see actual like movie stars. Like, yeah, whatever. But you, <laughs> totally different. I, it was it was such a nice thing for me. I mean, first of all, it's the it's literally the first time anyone has ever been like, well. There, are, there have been a couple of people since the podcast launched that, uh, you know, I remember this man who was from like Hong Kong or something who found me at a privacy conference once and was like, can we take a picture? This might have been number two of anyone who's ever been like, can I take my picture with you for any reason at all? Uh, and it was very thrilling. And I also have to say, before I let you finish, Sherry, about <clears throat> who you are, uh, it was really nice because I, you know, we, I found you guys so organically. I mean, literally we ran into each other and you, and you, and you said, Hey, we love, we love the show. We wish you were still doing it. Um, but also like really did put that bug in my head of like, I do miss doing, I got really, it was the, the fact I'm doing it again is in large part because I thought, wow, for them to be so excited and complimentary and nice and really like miss it, maybe I should do this again. And that really got the wheels turning. So it's kind of cool that we're all here now because, you know, it's kind of like the three of us collaborated on getting this uh, next edition up off the ground. Um, so I thank you both for that. It's, you're, you're both very special people to me for that. Sherry, you are also. So anyway, I'm, I'm a privacy lawyer at Sidley. And, um, and of course, I'm not here speaking on behalf of Sidley. Um, and, but I also run this privacy law section, um, of the California Lawyers Association and it's been really fun. That's, that's actually Sherry, a, a decent segue into what I want to talk about next, which is that we're just coming off the heels of this, uh, federal privacy hearing that we had today. It was a big to do. I mean, there's been a million hearings on privacy legislation, you know, to, Right to the point where I, I've said publicly, the next person that writes as a headline, could this be the year for federal privacy ledge, like should be socially canceled. Uh, but, you know, the big excitement was that, you know, it's bipartisan and it, for years we didn't have this bipartisan thing. And now that we have some sort of agreement, we can push forward. So, you know, I got my, I literally, I have on my desk now still, because I haven't had time to clear it off. I have a, a seltzer water, some electrolyte tabs. Uh, and a spread, an iced oat milk latte that's now melted and warm, uh, and then regular water, uh, just prepared. And and actually, it was smart to do that because the hearing ended up being three and a half hours. I would love to tell you guys a little bit about this hearing because I think y'all were very busy doing your jobs, uh, and so my job, you know, as a as a reporter, is typically to watch this stuff and spit it back. I'm wondering if I can spit some of it back at y'all. I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Okay. What I think I took away from it the most, I mean, what I think people are, are truly excited about, and you did see this in the hearing, is this whole bipartisan nature. And there there did seem to be more alignment in terms of 
the lawmakers were asking questions that got more to the heart of the issues versus just coming up with talking points about why there shouldn't be a private right of action, you know, as the Republicans tend to to say, or, you know, why uh, the law should preempt the states, um, et cetera. Do you have reactions? You've, you've at least heard about the bill, read about it a little bit. Does this seem any different than the other drafts that we've seen? Is it going to pass? What do you think? I'll be totally honest with you. I am so busy that I, I'm just kind of waiting to see because I don't have faith that this is going to go anywhere. And if it really does, then that's awesome. I mean, I, I would agree. I, I don't know if I have much hope for it to come to pass uh, this go around, but I, I would say there's some interesting themes there. Um, you know, you mentioned it's bipartisan. I think the biggest sticking points have always been uh, state preemption, preemption of state laws and or a private right of action. So this bill is interesting because it has, to some extent, both of those. And I think that's a, a sign that it is possible to reach a compromise on these issues. I also I also think it's interesting, you know, just taking a look through what they consider, you know, the was a sensitive covered information. So we're seeing a lot more of that now. You see it in the GDPR, you see it in the CPRA where it's an elevated category of, of personal information. This this category seems to be really expansive. It's almost like they've taken all the stuff in the GDPR and all the stuff in the, you know, CPRA and put it together into this pretty big category. Except for one thing, which I thought was really interesting. When I tuned in, I actually zeroed in on this. They were discussing it. Under under this uh, proposal, uh, political opinion is not considered sensitive, which is really interesting. In the GDPR, it definitely is. And I think um, you hear about that a lot, right? Because I don't want to get too much into the politics of it, but there's a lot of concern that certain voices might be censored, um, whether you believe that or not. It just kind of shows, you know, even though there's consensus, there's still going to be these issues. And I, I think this is one to watch, right? Is somebody's political opinion going to be considered sensitive like it is in the GDPR? Can it be? Yeah. And I think I think at least one lawmaker was directing that question at uh, Maureen Olhausen, who was formerly an FTC commissioner and actually an interim chair for, for a time. And her answer to that was basically a non-answer, but she said, you know, she said, I think that's beyond the FTC's purview of like. Yeah, that, that's the part I watched. And I thought that's such a such a non-answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I don't think she wanted to commit either way because, you know, it's it's literally, uh, no pun intended, quite a political thing to respond to. Um, I also saw one other interesting thing that I just want to mention. As part of uh, sensitive covered data, they include, uh, it looks like an extension of that, you know, the Video Privacy Protection Act. Back, that's from, I think, the 80s when Robert Bork got Borked. I don't know if you know about that. Um, was it Robert Bork? I think it was Clarence Thomas. No, it was definitely Robert Bork. No, it was Robert Bork. Yeah. I always thought it was, okay. So for listeners who don't know, right, this was a case where a judge was, uh, his the records of what videos he had uh, rented got disclosed, and he had had some, some porns in there, and thus the VPPA. I mean, that would have been interesting. It was actually really benign and boring. And perfect. Was it? Yeah, it was. There was nothing there, but it spooked it spooked Congress into thinking, "Wow, you know, some ah. of us do have stuff there." So they quickly passed that act, which you know, VHS and video. My dad had a video store back in the day. I mean, they're they're pretty much gone now. I think there's one blockbuster in Oregon somewhere, but whatever. But it was interesting because this kind of came back because now we have streaming services 
And now your your video rental kind of it's it's brought new life into that. So I've seen some discussion on that. But so in this proposal, the fact that they specifically mentioned, you know, your your um, the content that you're viewing on cable or streaming, that's kind of interesting, right? Mm, yeah, for sure. See how the companies respond to that. Yeah, and I think one of the guys was saying that, like, um, I think one of the guys. Uh, I'm very eloquent sometimes. I'm so eloquent. I it was. I think it was the dude. <laughs> Uh, to just one up my eloquency, uh, he was from the convenience. He was like GC of the National Association of Convenience Stores. Yeah, I remember. That. I was like, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, I didn't think. Yeah, you're in scope. Welcome, welcome to the party, convenience store. It's a new dude, and I think I think in some ways he was saying that brick and mortar stores should be treated differently than um, than yeah. the other you know, like big tech, for example, but then when you looked at, when you look at the business model, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, a tech being used, right. To transfer data back and forth. And so I'm not sure, like you can necessarily say like, well, we're just a mom and pop brick and mortar. Um, and these company are actually, these companies are actually using technology and they should, you know, and, and therefore there's much more data involved and therefore they should be regulated differently. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but the same person did say that, it shouldn't be like in terms of scope, it shouldn't be that it shouldn't be size that determines it. Like it should be no matter your size, basically you're captured under this law separate, you know, which is obviously what the states are doing right. differently right now. The convenience store rep said that? I believe that was him that yeah. said it shouldn't be. He, there were a couple of points he made that sort of I wouldn't have necessarily expected um, him to make. Smart fella, like he he knew his stuff. He was, you know, he he would he had been obviously watching the space for enough time yeah. um, that he could kind of say, you know, some of give some historical context and, you know, give some reasons behind what he said. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was surprised to see him on the circle. It'll be interesting to see if he comes back again uh, to represent the convenience stores. Yeah. But I think that's a big tension though. I, I did tune into that, that tension with service providers um, yeah. And then the people who just use them. And sometimes maybe they don't feel like they have an option. Like maybe, like all my competitors are using this thing and it helps me be efficient and I have to use it. And it's just like part of the deal. Like, right. so what am I, what are you going to actually, you know, hold me accountable when there's not a better product out there or not better, but a, a less, uh, you know, uh, intrusive product um, or product that doesn't use data in the way that I have to think about it so much. So, um, right. yeah, I think that's, right. that's going to be a, a tension. Like we don't really see that with CCPA as much because it does, you, you are dealing with bigger companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. There are distinctions drawn. Let's talk about these regs. Um, because I think, you know, the CCPA was such a huge deal. And then the CPRA was a real, uh, for some, a real kick in the stomach because there had been so much work you know, all right, Alistair McTaggart, I will, I will do yeah. what you say. I will, you know, I will spend a lot of money trying to comply with this brand new law. And then you thought I'm doing it, I'm getting there. And then he said, wait, there's more. And right. I think it was kind of hard to swallow. So now we have these regulations that are, you know, spelling out exactly how this new regulator, the CPPA, the California Privacy Protection Agency, will enforce the law and what you may or may not do in your CPRA compliance efforts. Um, Sherry, what are, what's the general takeaway from the regs so far? I know for some people it was like, oh, I was, I was really hoping they were going to include, you know, some, some guidance on X and it wasn't there. 
when you read it, what was your thoughts when you read like, these regs? Really, my first thought, like not even getting into the substance was I was really appreciative. I, I think that, um, that and I now know after the hearing the other day that, you know, that Lisa, Kim and um, Stacy at the AG's office, that they, they had a, a, not a heavy hand, but they were so intimately involved in these. And I really appreciated the examples. That was what was so missing from the CCPA regs. And they really drew on their experience. And I really, you could tell there was a real effort to try to explain what they meant through some examples. Now, you know, of course, are there examples I wish they would have added? Like, well, what about this? You know, um, but I really appreciated it. And um, I, I admired it. Like, it's, it was just like a true public service. Um, I, w- I was amazed that I, I was a doubter. I have to be honest. I did not think they would be able to get a draft out. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll see this in 2023. There's so much to regulate. But I thought the way they did it, you know, they just kind of prioritized. I thought it was, it was really smart. There was a really heavy, with the regulations, there's like a super heavy emphasis on, you know, opt-outs and how, what you may and may not do with opt-outs and also how you may or may not facilitate uh, DSARs. Um, to to me and my colleague, it sort of felt like there was a, the read of the regulations was almost like uh, Ash Consultani, who's heading the agency the CPPA was like, okay, here's what people tried to get away with under the CCPA and like, not this time. And so there were a lot of very clear and specific examples of like, here's what I mean and here's what I don't mean. Um, but curious what your what your thoughts were when you first read the, the regs, Nick. Well, there's a, a pretty good section on on what's called dark patterns, which we, we had an event trying to explain what that is. And I think we came to the realization that the word itself, dark patterns, is a dark pattern and that it's a bit confusing. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's good. I think, I think these are call-outs that need to be made. Um, wh- one thing I thought in addition to that was interesting, um, I've got to remember exactly how they phrase it. Is it symmetry of choice? I think they called it. They coined that new phrase, which, mm. I mean, I want to say it takes a cue from the GDPR. Uh, you know, when you copy somebody's homework, you maybe rewrite some of the words so it looks like your own that's probably unfair to say because it's a it's a principle that's been around for a long time if you're going to opt into something you should be able to opt out just as easily right mm-hmm. um and that, that principle is something i think we need more of and i see it all the time in, in so many ways not even just opting in and out i've noticed like with ads that pop up now the little x to close it out is sometimes the same color as the background i mean it's deceitful right and, uh, you know, there's a lot of lot of things companies can do to kind of manipulate your consent. So uh, it's good to see that addressed in this early draft. I am. I really love when I first heard the phrase dark patterns, I was I don't know, something about it turned me off. I don't know why. I think because there was a there was a show before I was born or right around the time I was born called Dark Shadows. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. I was gonna say, it sounds like the Hollywood thing. The reason I don't like it, that show, I've never seen it, but there was a character named Angelique on it. And um, everyone always asked me if that's where my name came from. My name, I'm named Angelique Marie because my dad was a very religious man. uh, And he hoped that if he named me Angelique Marie, uh, I would become a nun because he thought it sounded like a nun's name. Oh, (laughs) it didn't work out that way. Did you come close? <laughs> never even looked at a habit. Have some bad ones, but never thought about wearing one. Um, and so 
anyway, I, but when I started learning about dark patterns, I was like, this is so fun. Like, this is really, I think I started learning about them when I first read um, Woody Hartzog, some of Woody Hartzog's work after hearing him talk one time. And now I, now I think it's fun because it's like Pokemon. Like I find them everywhere. Yeah. Like I get, and I get so excited that I know what it is like today. And I won't name this app because I'm not going to name and shame. They're just a startup and I hope they're going to learn more about this and get some good privacy counsel and not do it anymore. But like they asked me if I wanted to reveal more about something about myself for $5 off the next use. And the choices were yes or no, I hate free money. Right, <laughs> was, right. The cookie consent business, I mean, I feel like people, everyone's sort of still trying to, I don't know, there's so much conflicting, um, or not conflicting, but like ongoing advice, I think, especially from DPAs in Europe about like what you can and cannot do in those little consent banners. But I also think like, how are we, whenever I think about notice and choice, like talking about cookies, it's like, how are we ever going to be, you know, the criticism is, well, it's not meaningful notice, which I was discussing earlier, but also like, I don't know of any company. I think Uber does a pretty decent job in their app sometimes of giving me real time notices and make, letting me make decisions. And they're pretty like plain English about it, but I just don't feel like anyone's really cracked the code on how do we say everything that we need to say from a legal standpoint um, in a way that's actually quick and convey something meaningful to the consumer in real time so they can make a smart decision. I don't know. Yeah. Like, is it just, no, do you just have to layer it? And it's like, here's the simple version. Do you like, I, I just don't feel like that's something we know how to do yet. I kind of think that like, um, you know, part of the mission of the privacy agency is to educate people. So I think if, I think once we start educating people more, then they'll be able to tune in to some of these policies. Um, potentially and be able to like, oh yeah, there's this or that. Um, but it's a huge burden to place on businesses. Like I always think, oh, it'd be so cool. Like, you know, I, you see some companies that are very, uh, very rich companies and they have really cool graphics and, and drop downs and it's a whole, it, it, you know, it's their brand also. Um, and it looks great, but like you, like, the companies can't invest in that. They can't do that. They can't, you know, mm -hmm. and they do spend, you know, I spend a lot of time with companies there. They do try to comply with this. It's not like for want of trying, but it is frustrating to spend all that. I mean, all that time and then not have it be as accessible. Um, so yeah, it would be, it would, th that's what I think. I think it's a combination of education and maybe people will start making better <laughs> interfaces that like you could like on a Canva or something, you can just like, pull in and use, um, you know, I think that's, that would be helpful. I think education is a really important thing. And, you know, I mentioned before, people don't really know what's going on. Um, Ireland, the DPA there had an interesting uh, proposal. I'm not saying they're the only ones that thought about it, but I talked to them about it during one of the events we did, where mm -hmm. they want to put in a data literacy program for, for children. In, in what they call the primary schools, so elementary schools. I think that's really interesting. Um, they actually did, as part, uh, they did this um, framework for processing children's data. Part of what the GDPR says is you have to talk to people on their level. And I think they took that really literally because they're talking to these kids and they, desi they, de they designed this entire curriculum where they'd go into these schools and ask the kids in their language what they thought about their data. I thought that was a really neat approach. I'd like to see more of that, more awareness um, in, in the grade school years about, you know, your data and, and the fact that if you say something, 
it's probably not going to go away. And when you run for president, it'll come back, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Little Tommy exactly. in fourth grade who stole the milk. You know, it's like, no, that'll come back to haunt me. It's like, you can be, you can be anything you want, even president, unless you, unless you use social media at an early age before you realize the ramifications, then you're, you're going to be screwed. And we've never really had to deal with this, right? Because this is all so new, but you know, I've got a couple small kids and I, I, I mean, I'll tell them stuff, but it would be nice if, if, if we were able to go to our already overburdened schools and say, Hey, add this to your curriculum. I think it'd be a nice, nice thing that for them to do. And I think it would be a, a huge step in combating all these issues we're facing today.